Romans chapter 12, the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, please attend the preaching and hearing of your word. We pray that the sermon that is heard that by your Holy Spirit, a better sermon is heard than what I preach. We thank you. Pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit to go forth to us all. Amen. I think we need to, there's a thing called interpretive reading. So that what you do is, or exegetical reading, so that the way you read a passage interprets the passage, which is one of the reasons that in the uh, Reformed churches, evangelical churches, um, they do not let those who do not, are not ordained to gospel ministry even read the word of God to the congregation. Because the way you read it is interpretive. The way you read it has a lot to do with how you interpret it. So when you're reading at home, which I encourage everybody to do, hide the Word of God in your heart. We're told to do that as well. But when you come to church and you hear the Word of God read and you're like, I never heard it read that way, good. Let's incorporate that into our personal readings. But if you don't know the Word of God well in your heart, you won't notice the difference. Chapter 12 begins what's called a hortatory section. So I like that word, H-O-R-T-A-T-O. O-R-Y, hortatory, and it is a section where the writer is exhorting or urging or telling his readers to do something. And up to this point in Romans, Paul has laid out the Christian doctrine of sin and judgment, salvation, wrath, mercy, justification, and the gospel call of God, to, of Christ, to both Jews and Gentiles alike, all in need of the mercies of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that in chapter 11, so look with me there, beginning in verse 33, what we see here is this doxology that comes out of his theology. So that any true doxology praise to God has to come accurately from his word. So that what we know about God leads us into doxology. And we have this doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, usually we say amen, we go home. Paul's not going home. He's like, I'm punctuating the fact that God has done great things for us. And now he moves into, therefore, what are we supposed to do? And he tells us, what to do. We're exhorted. We looked at this last week. We're, we're compelled to do these things. And so we get to verse 1 in chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there's another thing called orthopraxy. So these are all good words. You can write these down if you want to. Doxology, praise of God. Theology, the study and knowledge of God. Orthopraxy is right practice. 
you go to an orthopedist, they try to get you, your, your, your body straight. And so you go to an orthodontist, they get your teeth straight. Orthopraxis is straight practice, right practice. Doing the right things from faith. But our orthopraxy can only come from our orthodoxy. There's another word. That means right teaching. So if we're going to have right practice, you have to be taught the right things. But you can be taught the right things and still yet believe the wrong things. So our orthopraxy only comes from orthodoxy, right understanding and knowledge of God. So these things are important, which is why the Lord says, hide the word of God in your heart. Don't neglect the, uh, the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but meet together encouraging one another all the more as you see a day approaching. These are things that, that God has commanded us to do. We have to get the gospel of Jesus Christ right Orthodox teaching, and it needs to be in our hearts, so it has to be doxological. And as our hearts are changed by the truth of God, by the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, read, preached, sung together, prayed together, as our lives begin to change together, our faith has to be put into practice, which is called an experimental faith. The Christians, I think, call it an experiential, experimental faith. It means a faith that's put into into actions. I've heard it called incarnative. It becomes enfleshed in the same way Jesus Christ became flesh. We are to become, our faith is to become embodied in the world in the way that we think and the things that we do. Everyone must, every believer, you cannot just believe what you believe. You have to live it out because like it or not, people become like what or who they worship. And so we have to be careful about those things that we give our hearts and our minds the most attention to. And Paul, and therefore the Holy Spirit, is not just concerned about right behavior for the sake of right behavior. Do this because it's the right thing to do. He is concerned about it because we are engaged in a warfare. And it is a dangerous warfare of which we are currently involved because it is a warfare for your souls and the souls of your children and the souls of generations to come and for the souls of billions of people around the world. It is a real warfare if you believe the Bible. Now remember, Paul writes that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but that we are in a more serious and much more dangerous spiritual warfare. Paul writes that we um, need not Fear that our fear, well, let me stop here. My fear is that many professing Christians today do not truly grasp the nature or gravity of the war that's being waged around us and in us. We don't get it. Ephesians. Now, keep your place here. My Bible handily comes with two bookmarks. Keep Romans there. And we're going to Ephesians. So when you find Ephesians, Put a mark there because we're going to be in Ephesians a few places. So this is going to be Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. The word of God. Finally, Christians, believers, brethren, as he's told us, you know, in, in Romans 2, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. So you have to have spiritual armor. What kind of warfare are we in? Spiritual. So somebody's shooting a spiritual arrow at you and you pick up a man-made shield right through it. You've all seen movies where you got some ghost-like thing, you throw, it, you throw something at it and it goes right through it. Well, this is the opposite that's happening. We are 
we are spiritual beings, and there's a spiritual war, and so nothing physical ultimately harms us, but there are spiritual attacks from spiritual places that can get into our lives and destroy our souls. This is the Word of God. So we want to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is a schemer. That means he's got all these little plans. He's good. He's been around a long time. He's smarter than any of us. He, uh, he knows psychology. He knows your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. He knows all this stuff better than we can figure out. Don't think that you can't be out-manipulated by Satan if you get into a battle of wits or you start to dance with the devil a little bit and it's going to turn all right for you. It will not. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the work of Satan. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end, to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, praying for the believers. And also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We must boldly proclaim. I must boldly proclaim. I have to have you pray for me for that. Pray that I would boldly proclaim the gospel, but be careful because then we'll hear the gospel and you ain't going to like it all the time. I'm not going to like it all the time. The Holy Spirit will do work in our lives and does not ask our permission. But you have to hear the word of God. You can shut him out. You can resist him. You can run in the flesh. You can be captured by Satan to do his will. All these things. But he says, I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So he's praying for boldness of the proclamation, and so we must put on spiritual armor because the more boldly you proclaim, the more the spiritual attack comes in. Romans 2. Don't lose Ephesians. Romans 12, sorry, verse 2. Do not be conformed. Now, the, the, the best way I've seen somebody translate this with, all the information is, is, is be not conformed because it is something that you participate in, but it's also something that kind of happens to you. It's not just passive. It's not just, you know, you just don't sit there. It's, no, you be careful that you don't become conformed to this world because it's something that you do. And when you do it, it has impacts upon you. Be not conformed to this world. Now, what it could say next is rather transform the world. And that's what a lot of the church is seeking to do, transform the world. The world's an enemy. The world's not going to be transformed. But God is calling the church out of the world. So what he doesn't say is transform the world. He says, but you need to be transformed by the renovation of your mind. It's a verb there, by the renewal of your mind. Not the renewing of it, but there needs to be a renovation of your mind for the purpose of being able to test and see what is the right will of God. 
And so this word for be not conformed to this world is the word ion. You may know there's different Greek words for world. This particular one means age. It means don't be conformed to this age. Um, it's a, a word that can be uh, used for like zeitgeist is a good uh, German word they use for that. Like it's the, the spirit of the age. So we have to be careful that we aren't conformed to what's going on currently in our dark world. And so keep your Ephesians passage there. The very next book is Philippians. So there's just one passage in Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, again, he's exhorting people. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you for both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Where? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now that word twisted in the LSB and the CSB is translated perverse or perverted. We don't use that word a whole lot anymore. Somebody uh, being a pervert was a word that used to be used because they're perverted. Why did we stop using that word? And I think because we don't want to think of people as being twisted and crooked. But we're living in the midst. Dude, I have to tell you. Wake up. We're living in the midst of a perverted generation. It is a perverted generation that we're living in. Don't be conformed to it. That's a warning. Don't be conformed to this crooked and twisted generation in which we live because in this generation, you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. He's saying, don't be conformed to this twisted, crooked, perverted generation in which we live. You have to, you have to watch that. Then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to believers. It's supposed to be past tense things. Following, what were you doing? Following the course of this age. You're following it. You're trapped in the river, and it's floating right along with it. You become like it. And he's saying you used to be just a part of it, following the prince of the power of the air. Satan is the ruler of this present age. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do not be conformed to the children of wrath. That's what he's saying. Do not be conformed to the children of wrath. You are, they're following, and you are following the course of this age. The defining spirit. Because people refer to it a lot of the spirit of the age. Uh, this zeitgeist word, which is the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of the time. And I believe, I am convinced, that we are on the edge of a very real and coming darkness. A very real and coming darkness. Unless the church rises up in gospel power, 
and right living, living lives of holiness and gospel power and believers and especially your children will be conformed to this perverse world without gospel clarity, without the ability to resist the current of this age, without being able to resist it firm in the faith. We will be conformed, your children will be conformed, and who knows where your grandchildren will end up. We are on the edge of a coming darkness. The Bible categorizes three enemies that the church has. And he categorizes them as the world, the flesh, and Satan. Very clear in Scripture. You have three real, true enemies. The world, this present age, is an enemy to the church. The flesh, your own sinful inclinations working against you. Don't listen to your heart. Your flesh is your enemy. And Satan, the demonic powers of darkness, is an enemy to the church, to the believer. And we tend to be aware of the problem of the flesh. We all acknowledge, yeah, I'm sinful. I watch what I do, watch what I think. As believers, we know that, though we may give into it with little resistance. But we falter a little when we think about the world being against us. The world being against us. Really? Little old us? The world being against us? So it would say, you know, maybe a lot of places have a lot of problems, but our little corner of the world seems fine. I mean, there's problems, but even the non-believers seem pretty good. They seem pretty caring. They're doing good stuff, too. They're not our enemy. We need to be careful about it. We've got to love the world. Like God loved the world. But if it's an enemy, you got to get your mind straight. If it's an enemy, you're in trouble. You're playing the wrong team. You're running the wrong way. What's going on? you got to make sure what uniform do you have on. Make sure you get, be careful. What is the call of the church? I was reading Amos, prophet. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Woe to those who are at rest in Zion. Woe to those who are at rest in Zion. Zion being the city of God in the Old Testament. Woe to those who are at rest there. He's like, there's something going on you're not aware of. Woe. And that's one of those words in the Old Testament. I asked my Old Testament class, the kids, like, what's woe mean? And they all mean, it means stop, back up, slow down. I was like, no, it doesn't. It's the opposite of blessed. Woe unto you. It's woeful. Woe is me. We used to talk about being woefully sorry. This is like there's woes upon those who are at ease in Zion. And today it would be woe to those who are at ease in the church. We are being conformed and we have become too much like the world. Ephesians 5.14 says, wake up, O sleeper. It's the same message going on, Old Testament and New Testament. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. We pray that. The Old Testament benediction. May the Lord shine His face upon you. What face? The face of Jesus Christ. That it might shine upon you and be gracious unto you and that that would give you this gospel peace that surpasses all understanding. But the way not to be conformed to the spirit of this age is for your mind, your inner thinking and feeling person to be awakened by the spirit of Christ when the resurrected Christ appeared to His disciples on the, on the side of the sea. Um, we're told in Luke that they say Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. 
You've got to have your minds opened even to understand the Scriptures. And then he says, now that your minds are open to understand the Scriptures, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewed mind, by the renewal of your mind, by this transformation of the mind. You cannot escape worldly conformity simply by shouting against evil. You cannot escape this worldly conformity by shouting at the bad guys because you will do so in a worldly way. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You cannot escape worldly conformity by following politicians or by being political because you will do so in a worldly way. Satan has operatives in every political party. Wake up, O sleeper, you who are at ease in Zion. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, Sophia, my granddaughter, likes this show called Hoarders. And I had originally written, and it is a serious mental condition. But I think, wait a minute, that makes it sound like Sophia has the mental condition because she likes this show. But no, hoarding is a serious mental condition. And she's not watching this show to mock these people or anything. It's a very interesting thing. I asked her, I said, why do you like this show about hoarders so much? And she said, well, it kind of makes my room look a little bit better by comparison. I said, well, it's, it's very true. But these people have lost family members. They're in danger of losing a spouse. They um, are being threatened that they'll Family, they're being abandoned by everybody if they don't change. The government's going to come in and take their children from them. And so a crew comes in, and they start cleaning everything out. And it's horrific to watch. I mean, it's terrible, awful, nasty stuff, and they can't let go of it. It's a mental disease. And so a counselor is there. A counselor is there because the house can be cleaned from top to bottom, and that person can cry and cry tears of sorrow over how awful they recognize it is, and they can cry tears of joy over the transformation that they now see in this beautiful house. But for the most part, you can tell they're going to be right back in the same situation. It's just a matter of time because they can't let things go. Trash. Well, I got to have it. Why? Just got to for comfort, for whatever it is, they got to have it. Because their minds have not been transformed. Their houses were transformed, but not their minds. God can tell us over and over, but without the transformation of the mind, we cannot tell what God's will is. We will be like children tossed about by every word of doctrine and by every embitterment that comes into the church, the least of every grievance against one another because we have not love, because we are conformed to worldly thinking. We have been raised by it. We have been raised in it. Every ad, every commercial, every movie, every TV show, most everything we watch, everything is bent towards conformity so that you might purchase, conformity so you might vote, conformity, that you might act, that you might do, that you might do what we want, how we want, when we want, and that is what we're in. How are you going to step out of it? Only by the transforming of the mind that happens through Jesus Christ. God can call us to holiness, and we can clean up our lives, but unless our minds change, not a lot has changed. So Ephesians 4 Verse 1, 
Paul writes again, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so he stops there. And then he says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us, the church members, according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is how we do it. Because we have been given a measure of grace, undeserved good stuff from God to those who only deserve his wrath. Instead, we have his love in Christ Jesus. And he's given each of us a measure of grace. Which is interesting. So some people apparently get measured out a little more grace. And I would think, well, that's probably, so if you've got more grace, it's probably because, well, you needed it, brother or sister, you know. So God gives more grace when you need it. There are stories of the martyrs that have gone forth into torture for their faith, did not deny Christ. And then there were others who were tortured for their faith, and at some point they denied Christ. And when they came back to the church, the ones that did not um, submit were super Christians. They were elevated. Man, they withstood the torture and they did not deny Christ. And what about us that came in? Yeah, they pulled out my fingernails and I denied Christ. I'm no good. And the ones that withstood it said, you let them in. You don't know. You have no idea what it was like. You've not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. If more grace had not been given, I would not have stood. I don't know how I stood. I don't know how anyone can stand. You forgive them. You bring them in. You don't know how hard it is and was. It's grace that is given in times of need. But wake up, O oh church. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Don't be at ease in Zion and think you need not grace. Ephesians 4, 11. So to the church he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, the usefulness of their minds, the futile. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is what we don't be conformed to. Are we this? Are we darkened in our understanding? Are we alienated from the life of God because of our ignorance that's within us? Do we have a hardness of a heart? Have we become callous like the world? They've given themselves up to sensuality and are greedy for every kind of impurity. What about us? 
in verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard of him and were taught of him as the truth is in Jesus Christ to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed again in the spirit of your minds. He says it again. It's not a one-off thing as if that wasn't enough, but he has this always. You have to have this renewal and then put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're called to righteousness and holiness. This is what we're called to. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor we're all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's an old song. You may or may not know it. It says, um, I want to change the world, but I don't know what to do. Y'all know this song? Uh, I want to change the world, but I don't know what to do. Come on, nobody knows this song? So what? So I leave it up to you. That's how he ends it. I want to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I leave that up to you. He's criticizing those who critique the loudest, but don't actually do anything to change anything. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, a debate over it. There's a, a newspaper said, you know, write an article, what's the problem with the world today? I think G.K. Chesterton responds one line, the problem with the world today is me. That's it. But by Christ, we know what to do. But do we lack the power to do it? Not if we find our strength and power in Jesus Christ. It begins with you, singularly you. But the transformation of our minds can be an unpleasant process and our flesh will find a thousand ways to resist it. God has placed three institutions in this world to keep it from falling apart while Christ builds his church. And the first one is the church. The temple of God being built and put together by Jesus Christ. The church is the keeper of the gospel. The words to be preached, preachers are to be sent, or ministers are given the keys of the kingdom. The church is the deposit of salvation. The Holy Spirit grows the church. Second is the government. We'll see this in Romans 13. A minister, a deacon of God for the good, to restrain evil, by whose standard, must be defined by God, and to promote good, by whose standard, must be defined by God. Because if you ask the government, what are they promoting now? They think it's good. What are they restraining? They think it's evil. It doesn't take long to look and say, you got it all backwards, brother. You're calling good evil and evil good, and you're the government. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. The third institution is the household. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, 
Do you know you're directly addressed in Scripture, children? Children, what are you supposed to do? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, it says. Fifth commandment, first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Ten commandments brought into the New Testament. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So if your parents telling you to do stuff like go rob banks, you got to say, oh, wait a minute, I better tell somebody about this. You know, you got in the Lord. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do you know you're directly called to in Scripture? Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now we have this little story we tell all the time. In my family, had my granddaughter, uh, 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 Mariah, <laughs> was being misbehaved. She was being led on by her, her brother, Eric. And Eric wasn't letting her return to the car. And we were ready to go. She finally comes back to the car. And we're like, you know, she's a little like, come on, let's go. We're going to leave you. We're going to leave y'all. And we're like leaving. And she's just kind of freaked out because she thought she was getting left. And it's like, okay, well, we, you know, so he gets in the car. And we let her know, you know, so we start singing this little song. It's like, obey, obey, always obey your parents. Obey, obey. And we're being silly. And in the back of the van, you hear this little tiny little voice, and she says, be pleasant and kind to children. <laughs> I was like, yes, amen. So we remember that. I never remember the obey part of it. It had been for her correction of us at the time. Be pleasant and kind to children. This is what the Lord said. Don't provoke your children to anger. You can do that. Don't do it. So we want to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. But don't provoke them to anger. And we'll bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. But don't provoke them to anger. It's easy to do because if they're not doing right. Makes you look bad. Makes you feel bad. All this stuff can make you angry. You have to be careful. So we're going to get more into this later. And it talks about bond servants. Obey your earthly masters. A lot of this has to do with things like in your workplace and things like this. But let's go to verse 10. And it says, um, be strong in the Lord and strength of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so you've got to be able to put on the armor of God. But this household, it's a thing that Jordan Peterson has, his book, first book, 12 Rules for Life, and one of, them is, <clears throat> one of those rules is, get your house in order before you criticize the world. Get your house in order before you criticize the world. He takes a bit deeper sometimes. He says, make up your own bed before you start criticizing everything else. It's easier to criticize the world, the government, the church, or whatever than to take personal responsibility as it is before you. And so change begins with you. Change begins with me. It begins with you. You must change. You want to see, I want to change the world, but I don't know what to do. I leave that up to you. Yes, because it's you. Who can you change? Who do you have any authority over? Who do you have the ability to transform? Not even yourself. You don't even listen to yourself. How do you think you can control other people? Transformation of your mind in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word and the sacraments and the, and the singing and the prayers and the walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ as you begin to learn what faith truly is when you see the hardship that God brings into your life even though you're trying to do what's right. And as you see the wonders and the joy of the work of God. And so we need to get our households in order. I believe this has been the latest, most effective attack for Satan in the past several decades, is the attack on the household. Satan has already infiltrated the mainline churches, and it is gaining a foothold in almost every other church because the church 
has sought to be liked by the world to get people to show up for church. I got to be like you for you to like me. So I got to be like the world that my enemy, I must seek to be like the enemy so that people who are conformed to the enemy might come in and like how we worship our God. I mean, it doesn't make sense when you say it like that. And so the churches have conformed to this age. Government. Well, that's been easy. Money, money, money. The God of this present age. The God's art. You know, sex, money. The government can hand out both. Same-sex marriage, abortion on demand, LGBTQ plus pride month promotions all the time because government craves power and the people crave pleasure. And they can give it out like candy. But the first line of defense, the first line of defense is the Christian household. The Christian household, which is why this is, they got the churches for the most part. They got your government for the most part. And they got your households for the most part. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. First defense where this starts is the household. A Christian father and mother doing all they can to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If the household falls, the church has fallen. Because the church consists of households. We baptize households. We have household membership. This is what we believe. You are the church, yes. But, the, but you're not officers in the church. It's different. Don't get confused with this thing the world is trying to, and churches are trying to get you to get, which is the church is just all the believers out there. No, it's not. There are particular churches, and there's places in Scripture that make it quite plain. And there are elders, and there are deacons, and there are pastors, there's preachers, there's shepherds, and there's the Lord's table that's given to people who have particular shepherds over them, and the church is supposed to do the ministry of teaching and preaching the word of God to the people of God. And then the households teach it to their children. And they go out and they live as lights in this world. And they call people to Christ. And they draw people to themselves. And they bring people to church. And they, they transform this world as they transform the household. The elders of the church are given for the equipping of the believers with the gospel. Parents must not farm out their spirit, the spiritual nurture of their children to the government. We wouldn't do that. But be careful. Be wise in your decisions. I believe completely in school choice so that you need to know, do I let, how do I educate my children? It is the parental responsibility to make sure that it's at least overseen and done properly. Homeschooling is, you are capable of it and you can do it. You don't have to do it is a decision. Do not mock or put down those who do. Be careful. This is the institution of God is the household. The government can do it, but you beware and make sure you're watching what the government's teaching your children. A Christian school can do it. You beware and you watch because be careful what they're teaching your children. A private school can do it, but be careful and beware of what they're teaching your children. Uh, the, the, the school where I teach, the classical education, it's a homeschool group that gets together too. Uh, be careful what they're teaching your children. Your responsibility to guard and nurture your children. Family worship has to be a priority for this generation. It is not too late, even for grandparents, unless we are at ease in Zion. 
and we are distracted by fighting other battles, desiring more to have the affection of our children than their respect at times. And then 1 Timothy 3, last place, we turn here, so you just kind of keep going over, you'll find the T's in alphabetical and numeric order. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, the word of the Lord. This is trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, he desires a noble task. And this is what we call elders. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. Now, none of us have been perfect at this. Not one of you. If you ever have anything you're going to look back in your life as a parent, you're going to look back and say, I wish I had done better. Good grandparents. You're going to just second chance. Help them. But we need the gospel. We need grace. We need mercy. Our children are individual people. They must also for themselves believe these things. Children, you must accept Christ. You must believe in him. You must trust in him. The elders are striving to be better and better, and so must you. But who is sufficient to these things, as the Bible says? We have to find our sufficiency in Christ. Now, I'm talking to those of you who know Christ, who know your salvation is secure by faith alone, but the time for milk is over. It's got to be. We cannot continue to just feed milk to our people or to other Christians and say, it's fine. It's time to grow to maturity, as we've been told in the Word, because the hour grows short. Then, as our minds are being transformed by the Spirit of Christ and our lights are shining more brightly in the world, if all goes from worse to worst, at least our children will say of us, they knew the Lord and they wanted more than anything for me to follow them as they followed Christ. Follow Christ. His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. In a few minutes, we're going to come to this table. And we're going to be served the body and blood of Christ from the hands of elders who are watching over your souls. Let them do so as those who are given account, let them do so with joy. Otherwise, it's no benefit to you. We threw everybody off a little bit last week because we thought, hey, let's just hand it. They shouldn't just be grabbing. We guess why everybody else does it that does this. We got a little too close together. Logistics. Got a little too close together. Kind of talked over each other a little bit. So today, when we do this, um, they're going to have both the wine and the cup. One will be over here. One will be over there. You guys have figured out where to stand. We'll continue to work it out logistically down here. But you're, they're going to say to you, they're going to look you in the face. The body and blood of Christ given for you. From the hand of the minister. Um, we don't want anybody taking anything away from the table and you serving anybody in the pew. So, if you're um, unable physically to come up here, raise your hand, let us know. We'll have an elder take it to you. Um, we'll, um, we, we want to communicate that what we're doing is you must individually receive faith. You must come to Christ. And Christ is for you, singularly. Christ 
you must be able to say, Christ is for me. This is the body and blood of Christ for me. This is for me. That's what this table is. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. There are many meals in the Bible, many covenant renewal meals, and this is one. The household is vitally important so that you do not depend on the church to be the primary teachers, educators, and growers of your children. I knew people who went to a Christian school that I was a part of at one time, and they com- the parents completely expected me as the youth director to make sure their children were good Christians and got into heaven. And I'm like, that ain't my job. That's your job. Now, you're doing, you guys do good in here. I mean, we're preaching to the choir. I mean, it's part of our problem here. You know, but you've got to model it so people see it. And they will. And then we'll see our children acting like something bad out there and cover our eyes and we'll talk to them at home. And, but you don't drive them to exasperation because they'll look at us and see us embarrassing them the same way, yelling or something. You know, we're sinful. That's what we're teaching. Grace. You need Christ. Apart from Christ, we're done. That's it. There is no hope apart from the church, which gives you Jesus Christ. And that's what we call everyone to. So that what we're doing is we receive Christ at the table, the benefits of the gospel. As you participate in the body and blood of Christ, you will be strengthened in your faith. And you come to proclaim his death, his death for me, his death for you. Jesus Christ for me, his body given for me, his blood given for me. And then we'll be transformed as we walk this life bearing Christ in our souls. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, that you would wake us up from our slumber, that you would focus us on the busyness of you, that we would cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. Let us not be at ease in Zion, but let us rest in you. In this we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.